Thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen? A movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you seriously never saw Training Day? Or, come on, you never watched Dr. Zhivago? Or, how have you not seen Bound? again and thank you for joining us for how have you not seen i am your co-host caroline thompson i am carson betts the other co-host and this is how have you not seen a movie podcast where each week we pick one of our favorite movies the other hasn't seen we talk about it then we go and watch the movie and we talk about it some more it's gonna be a real gay time Whoa, whoa. whoa wait i'm looking down wait i'm looking down at my phone what month is it is it june we are participating in rainbow capitalism, ladies yeah. and ladies and gentlemen, and <laughs> people who don't fall is under this, either of those two labels. Wait we a are, second. Is this is this a rainbow shirt I got from the Hot Topic? I think it is. No, Carson, you're colorblind, and it is a gray scale striped okay, shirt. Okay, all right. Well, make it real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Um, but because uh, if you're me, uh, gay is synonymous with good, so I did still say it's going to be a real good time yeah um anyway carson uh let's just jump into it how have you not yeah. seen bound um i mean i guess i until i mean i guess until like a year ago i didn't really know that this movie existed like in a real way and then like i've i've heard from everyone that has seen it both like in terms of people i know and also like critics that i trust that it is very good and uh, I, 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 I'm kind of skipping a little bit, but I do know that it's directed by the Wachowski sisters. And I do know that it is very queer. And that's pretty exciting. So I don't know why I haven't seen it. That's about it. No, yeah, um, ah. it is. It is. It is very queer. And it is very fun. Um, and so then let's just go ahead and jump into it. Um, yeah. You mentioned that it was directed by the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Um, what? What do you know about Bound? It it's like a crime thriller, right? But it's about I know that it's two women who like fall in love over the course of the film and they are they are not themselves like gangsters, but they are like related like they are the girlfriends or, or wives of gangsters and they get involved and they get involved in kind of some kind of, you know, some some kind of crime nonsense. And I know Joey Pants is in it. Correct, correct. He is a, a Wachowski favorite, uh, Joe Pantoliano. Um, Wait, I mean, is that, an, it's, is that an actor or is that someone's like nickname from The Matrix? Kind of no, both. So, <laughs> kind of both, honestly. Kind of both. So, Corey, and for anyone listening uh, at home who might have a, who might have a, a similar question, uh, yeah. Joe Pantoliano is an actor um who is you know he is in this he's in the matrix mm-hmm. he's in um he's in a bunch of stuff i mean he's in he's in the bad boys movies he's in mm-hmm. christopher nolan's memento he's in a mm-hmm. bunch of stuff um but just think, all over the place yeah uh, a a very a very respected and beloved character actor 
and uh, fans have, uh, you know, come to call him Joey Pants because Love why him. not? Yeah, because that's his, that's his that's his name. His name, yeah, yeah. Don't wear it out. That's that's the um that's the fake name on the call sheet when he's like top build. Yeah, and like <laughs> it's just it's just Joey Pants. It's a very it's a very uh, clever disguise. Um, what else do you know about Bound, Carson? That's pretty. I, I nothing you said was wrong. It was very vague, but it was pretty 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 much yeah, exactly right I, on the money. I, I, I don't know that I know too much more. I mean, this is their you know this is Wachowski's like their freshman film. This is their first feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is. You know, but between this and like, obviously, I know that the Matrix was storyboarded to hell. So like between the talent on display in this movie and the like raw promise of what the Matrix could be, that is what like netted them the green light to make that crazy ass brilliant movie. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that's about it. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, so if that is... Um, indeed, all you know, Carson. I think it is. It is time we move into our little game. Hell yeah. We're going to do a perennial favorite this week. We're doing Rotten Tomatoes, The Price is Right. Yes. Love um, it. And so for the first film, we are starting, as always, with the film we are discussing on this episode, which is, of course, Bound. Hmm. Because, I mean, as I said, kind of a lesser known Wachowski but also very beloved by those who do know it. So critically, I'm 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 a, I'm gonna stay kind of safe and go 85. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I think that might be a little um, low, but so and I mean, I think this is something we will really get into in the back half, but mm-hmm. um there has obviously been a huge, 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 huge over the last five, six years. Um, and it's kind of been brewing since like 2008. It's kind of been brewing since Speed Racer came out, but like also it was very, 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 very lightly brewing back then. Um, but, you know, uh, ever since really The Matrix 3, ever since Revolutions, um, the Chowski's films have all kind of come out in theaters and been met with a pretty like, mediocre response mediocre to bad response hey now the matrix uh the the new matrix came out in theaters and on digital and was met with a mediocre response so exactly well and 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 but that's what i'm saying is like they all pretty much come out with like a pretty mid to sometimes negative response but like the 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 general consensus that i have seen over the last few years is people are like really starting to kind of like catch on to what they were doing. And they were yeah. like, oh, I didn't, I kind of didn't get this like six years ago, but now that I'm watching it, it's like, it's actually like very inventive and cool. And even though it is very like wonky, like kind of cluttered storytelling, it's still very like interesting and like compelling in its own way. That having been said, I think this probably is pretty high critically. Okay. Because it is like a festival film. It's a lower indie film. It probably comes out and is only seen by a few people. And like you said, because it is kind of their freshman film, there isn't any sort of stigma. It's just like, whoa, did you see that that weird gay crime movie? Like, that's crazy. Um, Because again, like it, this kind of is what gets them the Matrix. Like, yeah. It's also their only film. Yeah, I mean, it's their only film that is not, I mean, I guess crime is kind of a, a genre, but like it's their only non-genre film. Like everything else is hard sci-fi and you know hard fantasy. 
Right, right, yeah. right. So I'm thinking that 85 is not a bad guess. And where I am getting stuck right now is I am curious as to whether or not I'm curious as to whether or not this film is sitting higher than that just because it's good and it probably deserves to be. Or if this is one of those cases of like, well, it came out, they were unknowns. It was an indie film. There's only like 37 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And because of those 37, six of them are bad. It's actually at like a 79. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was kind of my thinking too. So I'm, that was horrible math. I'm not purporting for that (laughs) math to be accurate, but like, few reviews so only a couple negative takes it um i'm gonna go safe and i'm gonna say 65 okay it better be higher than 65 there will be Um, hell i'm thinking it's probably i could really see it being anywhere between 75 and 95 honestly yeah um but i to be safe i'm gonna go 65 and i'm gonna lock that in the next film we are going to discuss, we have already mentioned it on this podcast. It is the follow-up Wachowski film. So it's the follow-up. Uh, it's the follow-up entry in this game. The Matrix. I mean, The Matrix isn't like a perfect 100%, but like it's got to be fucking high as shit. It's the <laughs> Matrix. It's kind of got to be, it's right? It's The Matrix. Um, I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 97 Oh, that's good. Yeah. I thought about going safe and going 95, but you know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 91. Okay. Say I yes. do think it is in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that movie is a fucking masterpiece. Um, and since we are doing, um, since we're doing the Wachowskis follow-up film, um, mm. I'm not sure if this is her direct follow-up to um i don't know if it's her direct follow-up to uh bound but it is certainly one of jennifer tilly's most noted follow-ups uh in the few years that came out right after bound which is of course the bride of chucky oh god yes that's the second one right and then see oh no it's like chucky the because there's like Child's Play one oh, through five, man. and then there's oh, Ride of wow. Chucky. And then they have a kid. And then there's like, and then she's been in all of them since. Like she has become like a big, which is why I chose this movie. Yeah, let's see. Bound comes out in 96, Bride of Chucky comes out in 98. And she does a few, she does a few movies, but mostly TV in the interim and nothing like major. She's in Liar Liar. Uh great movie. But yeah. Is is the one where they have a kid called seed of chucky there yes the one where they i believe it is i believe it is the bride of chucky the seed of chucky the cult of chucky and now there is the chucky i think it's there i think it's called child's play there's a tv show right now that they're both on well there's brad dorif are both in weird there's the one just called child's play where it's about like an alexa and mark hamill's in it i don't know what the fuck that's all about um yeah seed of chucky a thing that I, I talked about once or twice in the podcast of like, I would go to the blockbuster with my dad and look at the covers and back covers of horror movies and then get so scared. I had to put them back and walk away. Seed of Chucky, big, big one of those. Um, I don't know, like 50. I'm just going to split the difference. I'm going to say 50. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, 
so this movie fucking rules. Okay. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it since I was 14, but this is one of those, this is one of those movies that like, you know how a lot of times like, well, I haven't seen it since I was 14 and mm-hmm. I liked it back then. So, but it's probably like, it probably doesn't hold up. Yeah. This is one of those movies that's like, no, I saw it when I was 14 and I liked it back then. So it's probably only even better than yeah, I remember yeah, yeah, it being. Yeah. Um, Cause like in the, uh, in the, in the intervening years, Chucky has actually become like a little bit like more textually queer Okay, um, because the creator, the creator, like the writer director of the original film, I believe is a gay man. Oh, and I have heard that like in the intervening years, like it's always, it's one of those things that it's like, it's kind of always like, been there a little bit. And it's kind of always yeah. had like a queer sensibility, but like I have heard in some of the newer sequels that it's a little bit queerer. So um, huh. I kind of feel like this movie's kind of got to be like a, like a mid-budget campy masterpiece in some ways. And I remember thinking it was super fucking funny um, when I was like 13. Yeah. So I am going to go, I'm going to say 62. It's respectable. I think it will. I could see it literally being anywhere. This is one of those movies that like, if it was like, if it was like, oh, even though it's a fan favorite, it's only 15%. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, oh no, it was a fan favorite because it's good. And it's actually at a 95. I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I could really see it being anywhere. But. Like, you know, what's the critical response to a good Chucky movie, you know? Like, yeah, what, exactly. What does what what Roger fucking Ebert say about a Chucky movie, you know? Because the doll had a knife and he stabbed some people and that's what the movie promised and that's what it gave. One two thumb, thumbs up. Two thumbs up, yeah, exactly. Um, well, in, in that case, that is our little game. So, Carson, are you ready to go watch Bound? I'm so ready. So, so ready. All right, well, we will see you guys in just a minute after we've watched the movie. We are back. We're back. Carson. Caroline. A hot take. What'd you think of Bound? <laughs> Go. A hot take? Um, I, I don't have any hot takes. I mean, this movie's hot. Is that a hot take? I suppose. That could be a hot the, take. No, but really, like, what are your, what, what, uh, right off the bat, what? initial impression. Look, I mean, the sex in this movie is like pretty, like pretty good. Um, I mean, it's just really good. It's like very, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's not the most polished thing in the world. Like it definitely makes sense as these two, their like first feature. Um, okay. Now I have a, it's not even a hot take. It's just like an observation that by the time I was like three quarters in the way this, I'm like, it is a little tragic and also pretty funny that at the time this came out, Everyone in the, you know, in the film sphere was like, wow, look at this movie that two straight guys made. Like, that is insane to me. That kind of makes my head like, like do topsy turves, like no, whatever. I mean, it is, look, it's Pride Month. Happy Pride. Oh, yeah. It is a thing that, it is a very common queer experience of like, okay, when I was 16, I was like this and none of y'all fucking noticed. Mm-hmm. Like, I know yeah. I didn't know, but like, why didn't, why weren't you people looking at me like I was crazy? Like, you know, there's, yes. a, there's a very, there's a very uh, queer experience of just like, oh yeah, like looking back, like, I guess everything I did was extremely uncharacteristic for like a cishet person. Yeah, like I, I can say, I don't think I have seen a more like, 
surprising and slightly upsetting juxtaposition in a film in a while than the two women drive off into the sunset set to She's a Lady and then cut to directed by the Wachowski brothers. Like, insane. Like, crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, this movie is just, like, really good. It's really fucking solid. It's very well-paced. Um, it, very works well-paced. As an, it, it works as neo-noir. It goes... It consistently goes to unexpected places in its plot. Uh, which I really appreciate. Like, it's legitimately one of those films where I'm like, oh man, I could see this going like five different ways. And they right. always choose like the most, I mean, it's it, it to the, you know, for the sake of it being a neo-noir, which is a little unrealistic, they always choose the way that's like the most dramatically potent. And it's good. All the performances are good. Fucking Joey Pants. Holy shit. That guy is a sweat ball. Like yes. what a perfect little sweat <laughs> ball he is. Um, I texted y'all yesterday, but like I would kill to look as good in a flannel shirt or a denim jacket as Gina Gershon does in this movie. Correct. Correct. Like, yeah, it's just, it's good. It's a really fucking solid ass movie. Let me tell you. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is, I mean, it is just such a, a obscenely fun watch. Um, which is, you know, um, I mean, which is great. And yeah, for for a debut film, it's kind of yeah, kind of absolutely insane. And like I know that the Wachowskis had both been like floating around Hollywood. They were like doing like script punch-ups, mm-hmm. they were like doing stuff like that. Like they weren't, this was not the first like film project that they had ever worked on, yeah. but it is um it is just crazy to think that this is like their their debut film, and then they go on. <laughs> three years later to make the matrix um yeah yeah blows my mind it's blows my mind it's both like very insane because like what a step up it's like it's like it's like if fucking greta gerwig did um uh uh uh, fucking what do you call it ladybird and then like her next movie is like and here is avengers endgame like you know like it's such a (laughs) but but also like look watching this thing i'm like oh okay so the the influences the fascinations the kind of um the filmmaking the cinematography the i mean literally i had to look it up i'm like this is the same composer right that did the matrix and yes, oh yeah correct. yeah those horns yeah, i was like the music the yeah uh, and just like the the aural landscape like the the way they use sound is very similar to the way they do in the matrix the way they compose shots is very similar to the matrix like I mean, fuck, like the fascination with leather and people that look androgynous and like crime and guns and, you know, like it's, it's, it is all there. It is simultaneously like, it's simultaneously like what a kind of insane um, evolution. And also, well, I mean, all the pieces are here. Like this is definitely, it it makes sense that the two people that made this film would be the two people that make the matrix, you know? Right. And I mean, to that, to that end, it does make a lot of sense because both films are very much about like systems of control like they're they're very much about i mean in this one like explicitly queer and in the matrix more you know more metaphorically more implied like queer but like it's very much about how people like how the kind of normal everyday things are ways of keeping people in line and keeping people in control and that's very much i mean that's very much violet's kind of uh mm-hmm. story is like 
she gets away with everything because she is like doing it under the guise of like, you know, the, just like the, the house. I, I mean, I know they're not married, but just like the housewife, you know, it's like when yeah. she breaks the, when she breaks the whiskey bottle, like the scotch bottle, it's like, Oh, well like I'll run out to the store and get another one. And it's just like, Oh, like you dumb idiot. You dropped the fucking whiskey. And then everything that prevents her from going to the next phase of her plan is her being expected to do, yeah, you know, the womanly duties around the house. And I mean, like, that's very much the same thing in the matrix. And it's funny to say, because like the matrix is so like hard sci-fi, mm-hmm. like it is so like there's robots and like, and, and there's computers and the internet and there's spaceships and all of this like crazy shit. But it's like, that is a hard sci-fi. This is just as much of a genre film. Like this Absolutely, is yeah. like, this is like beat for beat, like noir. Neo-noir. Yeah. 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 And like, and it's like, you know, you you kind of don't think of, you know, you kind of don't think of a film that's sensibly set in two apartments, really just one, mm-hmm. um, you know, two apartments uh, with a cast of what, nine? Yeah. Like a sweeping cast and- of- yeah. And like some extras and, at a bar, you know, like, like you mm-hmm. don't think of that as like a hard genre film, but like, if you look at the way it's shot, if you look at the way it's lit, if you look at, I mean, even just like uh, both Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon's performances, yeah, like the, this is the hard capital G genre film. Yeah. It's just the genre happens to be about people dr- being dramatically lit and smoking cigarettes while yeah. talking and Doing not crimes. about like crazy CGI squids attacking your spaceship yeah and and it's it's the other thing i i I wonder if people that have a familiarity with the wachowski sisters work like now and the fact that they you know matrix they turn sci-fi and they kind of just have stayed there for you know for the rest of their career like nothing not to i I agree with you 100 percent. not to say that this thing is not like you know, capital G, like a genre movie, but like, because they have been so associated with this one type of film that like, I wonder if people watching this are going to, it's going to kind of split their head a little bit, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the, like you said, it's in the performances. I mean, like the characters, um, I mean, I mean that, I mean this not like, I'm not, this is not a, a knock on the performances or the writing at all, but like these, these characters and the performances are very, um, generic as in they like fulfill the archetypes that fit of the, the genre, genre yeah. there with win yeah, yeah. like they are not they're not hyper deep um the thing about it them that is interesting and deep is the fact that the main love story is between the two women like the fact that corky is basically like exactly like 100 a archetype that is in a lot of fucking movies especially a lot of crime movies of like the reformed former you know the reformed former thief who knows how to get away with it but they're just trying to live you know trying to live on the right side of the law for now and they're hard drinking and they smoke and their hairs in their face and they like to have sex with loose ladies but like because she's a woman the way that that archetype then exists within the real world changes so much and every single scene she runs into there is always the moment of oh well this is how i would expect this to go if this person is man but she's not and wow whoa that's kind of interesting and it is and it it always goes back to that wachowski's interested in systems of control and generals and that stuff's just so baked into the fucking script because she's a woman no of course and i mean it really is that thing of like um 
this story as it is, if you make if you make Corky a guy, yeah, and you just kind of spend the second act, which really is, you know, Jennifer Tilly's act. Yeah. yeah. If you just spend the second act of the film through Corky's eyes as a spectator, it is mm-hmm. it is a straight up and down like like crime neo-noir in mm-hmm. terms of like you're saying, like the 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 pretty the pretty not deep protagonist who's just tough as nails, like gets out of like, like finds themselves in the next, in the next uh, town over, you know what I mean? And, and they get into a situation where there's a femme fatale who just happens to drag them in and sets the plot in motion. And yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a very, very um, like, like you said, generic story, but by making them both women, it really does change like the implications. And I mean, you know, I think it's very fun that the Wachowskis are more interested in like whoever's driving the action, which mm-hmm. I think is really fun because yeah. it's like the first, I mean, the first, the first act is you're like, you're following Corky. Like she's mm-hmm. like the, your through line. And then once they like have the plan and they're executing it, it switches to, uh, it really does switch to Violet's uh thing it really does switch to her story and then like for the first like there's like 30 minutes there right before the end right before like yeah joey pants ties violet up mm-hmm. um when it's kind of like they're just kind of like sitting there and watching and waiting yeah to, like see if their plan is you know it's like the rube goldberg machine right it's like they set everything up and you watch them set everything up and then like violet like pushes that first marble mm-hmm. and then you just watch you know, the marble hit the, you know, hit the ball, hit the whatever, which is just what Joey Pants is doing. Like he's just having to bounce off these things. And it's, and it's really cool that they choose to do it that way because it does kind of allow them to get away with a little bit more. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it lets them get away with letting Corky and Violet be a little bit more. Yeah. when it's there because they don't have to necessarily have like whole character arcs they don't necessarily have to have you know like which is i mean a very i, I mean the the hard-boiled detective noir story the the one constant is the detective you know what i mean yes. like he never yeah. changes so that's yeah. cool and i mean i think so too that like if you kind of look at i mean if you look at the fucking matrix sequels yeah like the first matrix sequel is or the first matrix film is a very much like hero's journey, like very Joseph Campbell, very like going from cog in the machine to self-actualization um, through some like pretty cool and bitching stuff, right? And it does play with like the implications of stories that we know. But I mean, if you look at the later part of their career, both the Matrix sequels are all about like what g- genre and story archetypes mean. Like mm-hmm. all three sequels are about like okay so like what is genre and story yeah how does that operate and like i mean that's the same thing too with jupiter ascending same thing too with like to to a degree with cloud atlas and it's very much what they're interested in and so like this film being a formal experiment in that of like okay like if we make the the femme fatale woman and like the main you know the main quote-unquote like cop or criminal or like the, the 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 you know the the newcomer to the situation we make her a woman too we just make them gay 
how does that completely rewrite all of mm-hmm. the tropes we know without having to rewrite a single trope? Yeah, it's and now you saying that I'm now like bridging this connection between fucking Matrix Resurrections and this movie where it's like there is also this fascination with like expectation, both in terms of the expectations that are like put upon us by society, but also the expectation of um of, of like generic storytelling of what is the audience expect in matrix resurrections that movie plays a lot with fucking like what is the audience expectation of a matrix movie Correct. what is the audience expectation inbound of a neo-noir and like i mean it's also just watching it i'm like fuck the name of this thing is perfect like it's one of those i love it when a film has like a, a perfect fucking name that just applies to everything right because, you can it's like it's like it, yeah. it, it it breaks your brain thinking about all of the ways it's applicable yes because exactly. there's like 20 of them and it's yes like, exactly because like i mean obviously the two women but also i mean pantaleano's the the third lead i mean he is the male lead in this movie yeah, like yeah he's yeah. the third and he has i mean he's very very good uh but like they're also really interested in like okay well in what ways is Pantoliano bound like fucking Joey Pants is is you know kind of a he has this set of expectations put onto him by the mob because he's this low level mobster and like him kind of constantly trying to either fight or push back or subvert that and oftentimes not doing a very good job of it is then mirrored by the way that the two women are doing it it's just like ah it's fucking perfect perfect name um Oh, Lord. I mean, yeah, it is. It's just you apply that thing to everything. And it is uh, so compelling the entire time. I love how sweaty he is. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. I mentioned it before, but it's, I think you said this a couple of weeks ago. You're like, I just love it when, when movies let people sweat. And I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's yeah. like, I mean, it, it, it adds a sense of like visceralness that mm-hmm. like you don't otherwise see when you want your, when you want your characters to look perfect on camera. I know. And it's just like, in terms of the plot, the way these characters bound, once you get to that back half, really, because I I clocked it, I literally like paused it. I'm like, oh man, perfect midpoint. It's like a perfect fucking midpoint, like period. When uh, fucking Joey Pants points the gun at Violet and says, I wish I could trust you, but I can't. And then it like yeah. blacks out. I'm like, oh, perfect midpoint. Like, and now, you know, the roller coaster has gone up and now we're going down. Like, right. Um, and I clocked it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like right at the middle of the movie. Perfect. But like everything past that, there's this question hanging over the three characters and the question kind of, it goes to each of them in turn, basically. And the question's always like, why doesn't this person just take all the money and like run? Like, why don't they just leave? And the answer, it keeps evolving. It keeps changing. And like, you keep, you keep wondering like, Hey man, Corky, Corky could just run. She could be out of here. She could be a state away, you know, for most of that first half of that. And then there are times when it's like, why does Pantoliano not just say, hey, Violet, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, especially once he finds the money, like he keeps needing to fight against these women. And it's like, well, partially there is the the like plot circumstance of, you know, Joey's got to subvert the mob. Like I just killed the fucking biggest mobster in Chicago. If I don't find some excuse to like justify this and like, you know, uh, kind of skirt what they're doing. They're just going to kill me anyway. Like the Chicago mob will find me and kill me. But also then the, just his personal ego of like, I got to beat these women. Like I, you know, yeah, it, it's the very last scene of like, I fucking, I know you Violet. I know that you're not going to do it. And then she's like, you know, fuck it. which is ah, oh, such a cool, you know, like what a cheer line. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anything, you know, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's, 
a movie which has a kind of deceptively simple plot, but is constructed in such a way that there are all these little complexities and little bits of uh, setup and payoff that are it's like really fulfilling. Like it's a very fulfilling movie. You do feel good watching it by the end. You're like, damn, all that, you know, got me all fucking hyped up. No. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it is, it is a, it is a horrendously unsubtle movie, but also a very, very, very like clever movie too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm thinking the moment like and there's you know there's 10 of these that we could just go through but i'm thinking of you know a perfect encapsulation of like the dynamic of this of these characters right is it's like violet's coming on to corky like mm-hmm. is very actively like uh, like let's do this thing let's do this thing joey pants walks in on them freaks the fuck yes. out mm-hmm because like he does know exactly what's going on. Yeah. But then he sees it's a woman and he goes, Oh, wait, no shit. Okay. Like that's not a problem. Like they can't do yeah. anything. Like, like that's 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 not a threat. <laughs> a woman having sex with another woman. I don't know, but I don't uh, think yeah. so. <laughs> and like, and like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it's like it's horrendously unsubtle yeah. of like Joey Pants walks in, thinks he's wise of the situation, and he is. And then just goes, oh, wait, no, it's like, oh, it's a woman. Oh, no, no, then never mind. Mm-hmm. Like, couldn't actually be any sort of threat to me. And that's why they get away with it. And it's like, and it's like that right there, that like seven seconds of film is, um, you know, and then, and then followed up by him, you know, giving Corky the money and be like, no, take the money, take the money, take the money. Like, I know you, yeah. like, I know you need it, basically, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it's a perfect, like, it's a perfect like one-two punch of kind of like a thesis statement of this film. And that's in minute like eight, minute 12, maybe. Yeah. And I just, and I, I just, and, it, and the movie is just that for the rest of the movie. And, and just the, yeah. And like the way that Jennifer Tilly consistently uses to learn her limitations as, you know, quote unquote, like housewife, like that role that she's been assigned in this world is like mobster wife um, to her advantage of being able to play dumb, play scared. I mean, fuck the um, I'm looking at the cast, his name, uh, Mickey, that like last time she kisses Mickey and she's like, I got to get out of here. And she gives him a little kiss. I'm like, well, fuck this guy's never, this guy's never going to be any of the wiser. Cause he's so, you know, cause we've seen throughout the film, like he's so infatuated with this girl yeah. that he would never in a billion years think. And she fucking kissed him. And now he's like, well, you know, never yeah. could do it. Um, all the, all the mobsters are cool and mobby and scummy. And, uh, when, uh, fucking Maloney showed up, yeah, as fucking Christopher Maloney as Johnny Marzoni, which is a great <laughs> sentence. Uh, that guy showed up, and I'm like, damn, I cannot believe this guy wasted like ten years of his life playing a cop when he plays such a good gangster. Like yeah. he should be on the other side. Like, you know, um, but just and all the little details, like the fact that he shows up with the, his nose broken and then you don't really find out what happened there until later that then Mickey's having the talk, you know, around the bar of like, and he just cold cocks him. He just cold cocks him right there. Cause he killed the guy. And like, ah, oh, and then that just goes to like the way that the male ego is built up between these mobsters, like these little bits of fucking like, you know, these like masculine fucking dick measuring contests that these guys are doing with each other, like all the time. But it's, it's, both as we're saying it's like both really unsubtle but also light complex breezy it does, they don't have to like shove things in your face for you to get them 
Um, yeah, it's just like this thing just fucking slaps. Um, I mean, I like I like Gina Gershon's hair. It's really good. It's like very cool, like '90s, like '90s, like teen heartthrob boy hair. Yeah, but like, yeah, they they get like they get like the number of strands of hair that need to be in her face, fucking perfect every time. I was kind of amazed. I'm like, whoever the hair artist is, killed it. Like that's the perfect amount, you know? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like no matter what angle you they shoot her from, she always looks like ah cool, like just enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, good film. Um, can I get? Can like, I give my favorite like stand up and cheer line from this thing? Please do. Please, absolutely. Um, when Joey Pants is confronting Gina Gershon and is like, "What did you do to her?" Or he goes to Violet. Is like, "What did she do to you? Mm-hmm. What did she do to you?" And she goes, "Everything oh. that you uh, could." Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, very yeah. cool." Just really, uh, really, uh, really play into the to the back of the house on that one. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, well, that that does bring something up that I kind of thought about by the end of the movie, which is that like, I mean, as you kind of mentioned it, Caroline, I think I did as well. But like, because this movie evolves, like where it starts, you really do not expect where it's going. And it kind of turns into a different thing halfway through that, like the the two like lovers are really not together or acting in any way romantic with each other for most of the film and you really need that initial meet and that initial seduction and those like that them having sex and then them doing the plan to really buoy the relationship that you have for the rest of the the rest of the movie and like i kind of said it in sort of a joking way earlier but like the fact that the sex scenes between the two of them are so good i do think yeah. is very important to establishing the the power and the potency of the relationship these two women have which like look Corey, get the bonk ready let's get let's go let's get it get it ready but like this film makes the argument that like yeah man like like really good fucking sex can just like bind two people together like a nuclear reactor like it can really just force them into a thing and like yeah so the rest of the movie when they're like that you know when corky doesn't leave her you're like i get it i wouldn't either like yeah if if we boned that good wouldn't run out on her like you know like you just it it makes sense it's a little crass but it is important no, I mean, no, and it I, is, and I mean, it's a thing too, where it's like it, it makes a little bit more sense for Violet, and of the two Violets, like you know, maybe perhaps a bit more of a uh, a bit more your protagonist, obviously, and like has more of the journey. Um, but you know, I mean, it is it really is that thing of like, you know, there is a stereotype in the LGBT community which is. You know, it it can be cutesy and it can also be problematic because it's like, you know, it, I, I've seen some ways in which this is problematic, but like, you know, I mean, the U-Haul lesbian, right? It's mm-hmm. like, there's the, there's the idea that like when two women get together, it moves so fucking quick because like women are more in touch with their emotions. And so when their partner is more in touch with their emotions and, and all of that stuff in a way that like, just like straight people just aren't. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just like shit moves quick. You know what I mean? And, um, and like, that's like a bit of a stereotype, but like at the same time, it really is that thing for Violet where it's just like, she gets, you know, she is so cooped up and so pent up. And so just Mm -hmm. like, 
trapped in this thing that like in, in her life that, I mean, this is the first time anybody has ever actually given a shit about her. And like, yeah. Quirky doesn't even seem to give that much of a shit about no. her. You know oh. what I mean? It's like, no. it's like, you know, like it's, it, but it's just the first time anybody has ever like, like seen her, listened to what she wanted, heard what she wanted and like allowed her to have it and or gave it to her. Yeah. And, and like, that's, sorry, that's, that's, it's a lot of mileage if you don't, if you don't have that. Yeah. And like, I think it's very subtle, but to me, the importance of, well, it's a couple of things. One, I, I like that, I mean, Corky, as soon as she walks on, like part of the character is like, she is like capital L lesbian. She's really not hiding that fact at all. Yeah. yeah. But also that, but I, I like that I'm like, uh, there could have been a, I think, more boring choice of Violet being like, I don't know, you just awoke something in me. But she's like, dude, I've been a lesbian for years. Like, and like half the mobsters basically know it and they don't care. Yeah. Um, but like, which is just more interesting and more complex to me. But like on the quirky side of thing, there is that importance of the her going to the gay bar scene and the fact that she is like, I'm like, I'm gonna go get, I'm gonna fucking go get some tonight to the bartender. And then she approaches the woman and the woman's like dating a cop. And she's like, all right, well, when you're gonna, you know, when you want to lose the zero and get with the hero, you know, eh, over here. But like, it, it does clock for me, one, that be, just that Corky is not like, she is inherently untrustworthy of this woman who is very like straight presenting. Like she just is like, no, you're nothing like me. Like you don't, you're not part of this world. And for that reason, I don't trust you. You're not part of this in, in group. But then also the, like, you get the sense of Corky is not approached. Corky does the approaching. Like the fact that someone comes to her and is like, I like you, we should bang seems to kind of like destroy her brain a little bit. She doesn't, she doesn't believe it's true, you know? No, for sure. Yeah. And there's like a lot wrapped up in that, obviously, but it, 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 to me, that is the justification for why she stays ultimately is like, wow, someone showed interest in me and it seems to be both sexual, but also something a little bit more. You can imagine that's not something that she's gotten in her life, both because of her particular personality, but also just because of the circumstances of her sexuality. You right. Know. Well, and I mean, a thing too with like, you know, why does Corky say, why doesn't Corky just take the money and run? And I mean, like, yeah. I, I, I do think that there is some simplicity to it of like, like she's met Violet. She mm -hmm. knows that she's in a bad situation. She knows she's in a situation she doesn't want to be in. And she just fucking wants to help somebody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, it's, I think a, a you know a problem with film and storytelling as a medium being so like cishet male dominated in that like you know decisions have to be rational and smart and like has to serve the character and if, and if a situation doesn't you know serve the character's like drive then you have to like either like change what happens or you have to go back and like give characters justifications for things mm -hmm. and i don't think this film doesn't justify why quirky stays but like at the same time it can it can just be as simple as like no you're a person like you're you know like 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 you are a person you are you know a lot of these terms weren't in use back in 96 yeah. but you know you're also part of the lgbt community you know what i mean like you know you are you are uh you're queer and you're in 
trouble. Yeah. And even if you're not in like trouble for your life, it's like, I recognize that you are in a situation that you don't want to be in. You're in a situation that I wouldn't want to be in. And so like, yeah, like I'll help you get out. Like you gave me, you gave me the inroad to this and like, I'll help you get out. And like, that can be enough. Yeah. You know, that can just be enough. And that, I mean, they, it's just that empathy there. It's like written in the fucking script. It's the, it's the, you're nothing like me. I'm, you know, more like you than you might know. And obviously like the, the text there is I like girls, I am a lesbian, but the subtext is we are both fucking quote unquote bound by these, you know, societal systems that kind of limit the things that we can do and force us into roles that we don't always want to be in. And we see a shared empathy in that. And, you know, yeah, it's just like, it's good. It's one of, I mean, I watched it, had a great time us talking about it even now i'm like damn yep nope pretty well considered very like layered interesting like holds the fuck up you know movie yeah um yeah good i like i like so much i do like i said i like all the gangsters i like just how what's his name gino the top guy Mm -hmm. big mob don i like that they said it's not just that he's part of the Italian mom. This guy's fucking Italian. He 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 says capiche. <laughs> he says capiche. He speak 80% of his dialogue is in Italian. He's like, he's basically like eating a fucking mortadella sandwich when he like walks in. Like he's got that kind of personality. They all got great Chicago accents. It's like really good. Um, yeah, I like the oh, I mean the scene just the the stylistic choice of like all of the last scene taking place entirely in a floor that is like covered in white paint just like yeah. cool like oh, cool so like cool. stylish like interesting and yeah i mean it's the thing that like even i mean and this obviously getting ahead in their career but like even the, the wakowski movies that have like stories that don't work like fucking like plots that are quote unquote like unfunctional like fucking jupiter ascending those two are so good at just like tapping into like one human empathy and two, just like a potency of image that communicates things to you such that like, I don't know, it still kind of works. Like that's my big thing with Jupiter ascending is like plot fucking nonsense, absolutely overwritten, but something about it just works. Like fucking the Wachowskis are good enough at their jobs and at utilizing the power of moving image such that they can communicate an empathy to me that like I didn't expect to have looking at these characters just based upon what is like on the written page of the script, you know? And like, it's all here. Like it is, it's wild that like the rest of their movies are so generically different, but their sensibilities as filmmakers are fairly fully formed in this, in this thing, you know, like most of it's, most of it's there. Yeah. There's not really anything. There's not really anything in this film that they go back on as their career progresses. Yeah. They build on a lot of it. Yes. But I mean, like, I mean, even that, I mean, even the fucking animated title sequence is yes. like, oh my God. Like yeah. crazy shadows, like, you know, a quote unquote camera, because it's not a real yeah, yeah. camera, but like, like flying through space, disorienting you until they choose to allow you to see the word bound. And it's just like, you know, there's, there's so many like, like, slow pan camera flips and mm-hmm. like you know my I mean my favorite I think probably my favorite one second of this movie um is when it's tracing the telephone wire through the wall and it yeah. does the loop 
If with, you didn't uh, say that, I was about to say that. I was hoping you were going because through. it's like, you know, it's them just understanding what they are trying to convey. And it's like, it would have worked fine mm-hmm. had they not followed that little turn because like you're just moving from left to right, which is the way that the cable's going. But it's like, oh, if we are sh- actually showing, if we are trying to use the camera to show one, how not like how close they are, yes, but two, just like, you know, the 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 call moving, you know, we are trying yeah. to show this electrical impulse, like, you know, Violet's reaching out for help and we are going to like literalize how it is moving just through the wall. Like you have to make the little loop with the mm-hmm. wire and yeah. they do it and it's perfect and it's brilliant. And it's like, they that is so much of um, like what they end up doing with their camera work in, in so many of their films. And it's like, yeah, is Speed Racer that on jet fuel, you know, like on beyond jet fuel, it's that through a Hadron Collider, like, Yes, it is. It is amped up to a one millionth degree. However, it's all still there. You know, there's nothing in yeah. this movie that is like, oh, well, like when they were younger, like in like, for example, in Bound, they used to do things this way. But then like as they got older, as they like whatever, they ended up drifting more towards this way. Um, you know what I mean? They ended up kind of like retracting bits of their style. It's like every yeah. bit of their style in this film continues through other than until maybe, you know, um, Sensei and Matrix Resurrections. I mean, Lana has been very, very um, upfront about like, I stopped storyboarding everything. Yeah. I stopped yeah. wanting everything to be a perfectly constructed image. And I wanted to work with actors in a way that's more human. So the camera works a little less comic booky and mm-hmm. like perfectly framed you know, like perfectly composed, quote unquote, like images. But like, you know, uh, other than that, like every Wachowski style choice is there. Yeah, it's- Starting here, starting now. And I'm not assigning, you know, like I'm not making value judgments about these two film, you know, these really three filmmakers. But like, I, I think of, you know, my favorite movie makers and like, it is the difference between like, say, a Paul Thomas Anderson who shoots and who shoots movies in a completely different way and has a totally different stylistic sensibility and a, and a totally different like handle of, of filmic grammar than he did early in his career, which is not a bad thing. I also, I mean, it's the thing about the Matrix Resurrections that I like. I like that there was an evolution there and that Lana's doing things differently and that like, but but it is just fascinating to see two artists. And again, as you said earlier in the podcast, like they had been working on movies, they've been doing other stuff, but like seeing them come out of the gate with a feature that is so fully personally fulfilling, like that is, is a pure, seems to be a fairly pure statement of their intention is really incredible. Like it's really something to watch. Um, Yeah. It's it's a good movie. It's a good uh, fucking uh, movie. It's a phenomenal movie. It starts the fucking same way as The Matrix does with like the the like people's voices over the dark images and you just being like, wait, what's happening? Yeah, like, with who those, is this? With like, those horns ta- in the back. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like, yeah, because it's the same fucking composer. Like, I, I was like, damn, no, this is starting exactly. Or like, the way I mean, they just love, hey, man, even the, the cops, like, they love doing the cops in leather, uh, 
leather jackets and like getting the close-ups of their boots and like yeah all that stuff it's it's there it's there yeah. you know um so bound is good i am very glad you made me watch it for this because it is i'm never gonna shut up about it it's gonna be one of those ones that i'm like have you seen bound though no yeah and it is it is one of those films that like from the first time you watch it it becomes one of those back pocket movies where it's like when you're talking with your friends about like movies like and it's like oh like have you seen this like like i have recommended this one it's like this and but i'm a cheerleader in terms of like my 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 career films like you want to know like literally anything about me like have you seen but i'm a cheerleader have you seen bound Mm -hmm. which i've now done to you both of those things on this podcast yeah but it is just that thing of if people are like oh like i'm looking for some like like lgbt films i'm just like i'm like have you seen these two if you haven't started like Mm -hmm. like, dive in there like great recommendations um but yeah um I mean, this is one of those films that you can kind of just go on, on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, just I like mean, little bits and little details and like, and it's just like, yeah. the, oh, fuck, so many good moments. I mean, the like, uh, Mickey coming to the apartment and he thinks everything's all good. He's convinced him they're at the hospital. And he's like, hey, uh, why'd you move around all the furniture? Like what, you know, know, why is the furniture different so than it was good. two days ago? And you go, oh, like, I mean, cause that's the whole third act is basically just like, okay, they're good. They, you know, okay, they've good. They got away with it. Oh no, they didn't. And then, you know, but and again, it goes back to that thesis statement of like, we keep talking of like everything in this movie does support the main thesis, which is that like, wow, women are bound by certain gendered expectations. And, you know, those things can be used for, you know for for you know to it, things that are differently than how they would for a man because he's able to just fucking toss it off and oh well you know vi she wanted everything to look perfect so you know just kind of moving things around you know yeah. like yeah it's great like the oh, just the the montage of of um fucking pantaleano uh moving everything and hiding the bodies and cleaning himself up and like the fact it's one of those great movie things where if you think about you can cinema sins the shit out of it, but that would be stupid. Where if like you think about the actual amount of time it would take him to do that compared to the time it would take the cops to walk like up one flight of stairs, then to the door makes no sense, like does not track. But the way that film can compress time in interesting ways, it just makes it so tense. You're like, holy shit, is he going to get away with it? Is he going to get away? Oh, he did it. Oh, no. Oh, holy shit. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. and the whole hearing aid, hearing aid bit is Oh, really, the hearing really aid clever. is so good. Um, also, yeah. just like, I mean, it needs must be remarked, the shot of him, like, in just, like, the web of money, basically. Mm. I mean, it, it. I mean, that's another one of those things, like, the first encounter of the three, that the three of them have, like, being such a perfect, like, yeah. visual and, like, yeah you know filmic distillation i mean that is just like a perfect distillation of the fucking movie it's like it's just like this guy who is just like literally just caught in a web of money Money. and that's all he like that's all that exists around him Mm -hmm. and it traps him yeah like it is both like it is it is he he is trapped and but but also but he's also the only one in there with the access to it you know what i mean like it's not you don't see him like expertly navigating it and violet being like oh my god well i'm just not gonna come out in the living room until this is mm-hmm. all done you know what i mean like there it's it's just it's just he's the only one who even exists in that space and it's yeah like, again it's extremely unsubtle very very clever and it's the again if you thought about if from the outside thinking about these characters if you're like well the, the fucking logical thing for 
Joey Pants to do is to say, uh, Violet, you stay here. Uh, I'm going to leave and leave the state and leave the country because, you know, eventually the fucking Chicago mob's not going to be able to follow you. But he's so, so concerned with his, you know, his, I'm sure the place that he's known for most of his adult life, which is being a low level fucking member of the Chicago Italian mafia that like, he just can't leave. He can't get out of there. He is bound in a matrix of mafia. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a good movie. Well, um, I don't know. Care. I think I think that's, I think that's yeah. bound. That's bound. I think that's bound. Yeah. Ugh. Um, yeah, uh, fucking just a banger of a film. Just a um, banger. Just a just a fucking banger. Um, and yeah, uh, Corey, do you want to find? Do you want to tell all of the very nice people where they can find us on the internet? I would love to. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review also really helps out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/hhynspod. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok at hhynspod. A special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash hhynspod. We have multiple levels, all with their own perks. Like I said, if you're interested in hearing more, please visit patreon.com slash hhynspod. I, okay, PS, postscript. I did, I did think of one more thing I got to say about this movie, which is uh, the second I saw Gershon's cool ass tattoo, I was like, Oh, I want to get that tattoo. And then like, <laughs> Which I was one? like, Which one? wait, is there? And, and then they or... start talking about, yeah. And I was like, they start talking about it. I'm like, wait, is there some significance to this tattoo? And I looked it up and I go, oh, it's a lesbian thing. Ah, shit. Okay. I can't <laughs> get it. Uh-oh. Excellent. Well, yeah. um, yeah. So I guess that's bound. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, Carson, what are we doing next week? Yeah. So next week we are continuing our Pride Month series. We are doing what I think is going to be a, a perfect, uh, flip side to this episode we are going from the rainy bloody noir shadowy cigarette smoking streets of chicago where two women fall in love to the wide open dusty dirty dry also people smoke a lot of cigarettes wide open spaces of uh the american west where two men fall in love in a brokeback mountain ah yes because I mean, hey, we're doing a Pride series, and it's this, and it's this show. So we had to find some gay movies that I have not seen. But oh, um, yeah. I, I regret to inform you that as of this recording, I have not seen Brokeback Mountain. But you will, and it's gonna be cool. And I will, I will watch it next week. And so we'll see you guys when we talk Brokeback Mountain. See you next week.